On Saturday, in primetime, the Michigan Wolverines will be traveling to the Minnesota Golden Gophers. And the difference between these two teams right now is very obvious. And the gap on paper between these two units is wide. On one hand, we have the Michigan Wolverines. Now, Michigan is a team that in the preseason... I picked to be the number one team in all of college football, go 15-0 and and win the national title. And right now, they look, in my mind, like the number one team in the country. But that doesn't mean that they are. They've only played five games, and Minnesota, frankly, might be their toughest test of the season yet because it's a road game. And Minnesota, objectively, not just because they beat Nebraska, but also looking at advanced statistics, they're the better team. Than Nebraska. So there's a chance that Michigan is facing their toughest tests of the season. And Minnesota, if Darius Taylor is healthy, will be able to run the football. And their offensive line is coming around nicely. But Michigan is college football's best defense. They have an offense that I think is near elite with elite potential. They're just an overall great team who's been matching my preseason expectations. They've been abusing the new clock rule. They have found wonderful transfer portal players who are starting. Drake Nugent's been good. Ladarius Henderson has been good. Miles Hinton has had some—he's working through things, and injury specifically, but he's been improving. And defensively, Josiah Stewart has showed out. James Turner has had his struggles and inconsistencies like Hinton, but he's still a good kicker. And Michigan's just humming right now. They're college football's most efficient team, according to me and also ESPN's efficiency metrics. Meanwhile, Minnesota is a different story. Minnesota has been struggling, and not just in terms of Ethan Kaliak-Manis and the offense losing Muhammad Ibrahim, Tanner Morgan, and much of their offensive line. Their defense, as well, has allowed multiple big plays and looks very uncharacteristic of a Joe Rossi defense. Do the Minnesota Golden Gophers have any hope? Who knows? I guess we're going to find out in this video. Before we resume, please hit that big red subscribe button and click the notification bell so you can get notified when I post more Big Ten football about Michigan, Minnesota, Ohio State, Nebraska, Penn State, any Big Ten team, and teams who join the Big Ten in the future. I'm looking at you, USC, UCLA, Washington, and Oregon. Hit the notification bell and you will not miss my videos covering Big Ten football. Comment your thoughts and analysis on this game down below as well. There's likely something that you see that others don't, or a different perspective that you have. And something that I love about this community is how we engage with each other. And I often learn new things from my viewers. Also, like this video so we can get it into the algorithm, and check out my Patreon channel, through the link in the description so that you can be thanked at the end of the video and be included in our community and also so that depending on your tier you can get insider access to my potential power index which is doing a great job an elite job actually at predicting games and also predicting the spread but to get back to the topic of the video and thank you so much for the support guys and we're trying to hit 20,000 subscribers at the end of the season and I think we're on track to doing that. But not to get distracted, Minnesota has had some serious issues, and that might be understating it. 
they're currently allowing more yards per game than they are forcing yards per game. This team lost to, oh, I don't know, Northwestern, for crying out loud, who was projected to be one of the worst teams in college football. They were trailing at half to the Ragin' Cajuns, who put up 349 total yards, and it was only by two turnovers, Minnesota having 11 more first downs and having 10 more minutes of possession, that the Gophers came away with a win against Louisiana, and Billy Napier's no longer at Louisiana. He's not there with his great you know, development at the group of five level. We'll see if he's actually a good coach or great developer at the power five level. Florida kind of looks like a pile of you know crap, to be frank, right now. But Minnesota's not much different. You know, Zach Evans, Sean Tyler, Darius Taylor, right now the run game looks good. Darius Taylor, he was out against Louisiana. I don't know how he is at this very moment, or I don't think the injury is season-ending, but I have limited knowledge on that. So if you know something about Darius Taylor that I don't, please comment down below. But I'm expecting him to either not be at 100% or not play in this game. Um, I don't think that you know the injury that he had, him being held out against Louisiana, and then him not being able to play in overtime against Northwestern means the injury was severe enough that it wasn't worth risking anything. It wasn't, it wasn't worth risking a win for Minnesota. If Darius Taylor was healthy enough to be put back in against Northwestern, why wouldn't you have him there? He might have helped you win the game. Um, but utterly Minnesota, despite rushing for 4.7 yards per carry, and despite Kaliak Manis improving in the past two games, mostly because Kaliak Manis' throwing attempts have been limited and he's been taken out of the offense, and a great kicker in Dragan Kesic, and also a defense that has 11 sacks. Minnesota has a better pass rush this year than they have had in past years, and right now they have 16 passes defended, 8 interceptions, 3 forced fumbles. Minnesota is very statistically impressive on the surface in many areas, but their fundamentals have severe severe critical cracks right now. And that's the difference between them and Michigan. You know, Michigan, for example, they haven't played as anyone as impressive as North Carolina, for example. But Michigan, despite not having as tough of a schedule as Minnesota, in my mind, and also not being as statistically impressive, they only have 12 passes defended, five interceptions, they have four forced fumbles and 13 sacks, so about the same or less statistically on defense. On the surface, there's so much more impressive if you dive into analytics and if you simply watch the games, and that's because fundamentally, Michigan is one of the strongest teams in college football right now. So the difference between these two programs is quite wide. I think Michigan has a large talent advantage, a coaching advantage, and Minnesota, this game is critical for them. And not just critical in the sense of, you know, can they win or can't they win, but can you compete or will you be pounded into a pulp like Nebraska was last week? Because Minnesota has a very tough schedule. The West looks down, so Minnesota in theory could probably win the West. I think right now they're probably the second best team in the West 
outside of Wisconsin. Um, they're very close to Nebraska, and Iowa being 4-1 and one makes them a threat. But I think they're better than Purdue, they're better than Illinois, they're better than Northwestern, even though Northwestern beat them. And I think that with the talent they have, Minnesota certainly could turn out being the West's best team. And competing against Michigan would communicate and imply to me that this team could, you know, beat Iowa for the first time under P.J. Fleck. And they could, you know, handle Illinois and handle Purdue and potentially beat Wisconsin since that's going to be a home game this season. And Minnesota Stadium, sometimes even though it is empty, we know it's going to be full and loud in that rivalry game against Wisconsin, a game that P.J. Fleck has turned the corner in. So it's important for Minnesota that you compete here. And if you can pull off the upset, that might say more about Michigan being overrated than Minnesota being underrated. But nonetheless, it would still be a program-defining moment for Flack. It would be his biggest win, probably or potentially ever, that he's had. And it would be the biggest win by ranking since Penn State in 2019 and since Michigan's number two in the polls, it would actually be his biggest win by opponent rank ever in his career. So there is more at stake here than what might seem to be the case. Michigan is number one in potential power, and Minnesota is number 26 in potential power. Potential power is a system that I have developed using my eyes in grading every position room in the country, which takes a lot of time but also balancing that out with points per play margin and yards per point margin, which are two systems of statistics that, especially in regarding points per play margin, have been very accurate at predicting you know, the top four, top ten teams in all of college football. Points per play typically favors teams that have elite offenses. That's why Ohio State and Tennessee were top two in that statistic last season. Points per play margin factors in defense, which is why Georgia, being the number one team last year, was also the number one team in points per play margin in 2022 and 2021. Clemson, who was also number one in 2018, was also number one in that metric. So it is accurate in showing who the best teams are. Um, so that's why I use it, along with my eye test looking at other rankings and efficiencies from ESPN and statistics, and combining all of that into a list and a ranking system. And that ranking system spits out this number, that Michigan should win this game by 28 points. And that factors in Michigan playing on the road at Minnesota. Vegas thinks that Michigan should be favored by 19 points. And Michigan's given an 87.1% chance to win according to ESPN's Football Power Index. I think that potential power is high on Michigan to win this game because Michigan's performed better, they're more efficient, they're more talented at virtually every position, and we'll get to that in a few minutes. Michigan, in yards per point margin, dominates college football. I mean, they're like well ahead of the second best team in that statistic, which is Oklahoma and also Ohio State. And Michigan is seventh in points per play margin. Minnesota, by comparison, and this includes, you know, the talent disadvantage, the coaching disadvantage, and just overall performance from what we can see by the eye test and efficiencies and statistics, Minnesota is outside of the top 30 
in both of those categories. And Michigan dominating in one category and being top 10 in the other, that doesn't help Minnesota's chances according to the algorithm. And again, this is factoring in Michigan playing on the road. This number would probably be around 35, if not higher, if Michigan was at home. Potential power is very high on Michigan, very high on Ohio State, and it's high on some other teams as well. If you want to get access to Potential Power's full in-depth rankings, which will be published in a video either tomorrow or Friday, if you want to get access to those so that you can make your own predictions or if you're curious about what Potential Power has to say about a non-Big Ten game, make sure to check out my Patreon channel and All-American and Heisman patrons will have access to that video. Just want to shout that out. Michigan's 5-0. and Minnesota is 3-2. and um, It'll be played in Huntington Bank Stadium. This game will, about 90% of you, I checked last night as I was editing this slide. It's the polls grown in sample size since then, but it's about the same. About 90% of people are picking Michigan to win. 10% of people who are honestly just rooting for chaos to occur are picking Minnesota to win. There are some reasons that Minnesota can win this game. Again, we never know what's going to happen until the game is played. But these reasons would require a lot of things to go Minnesota's way. It likely would require Michigan not playing their A-plus game as well. But Minnesota, they like to chew clock. They love to run the football. And P.J. Fleck is known for having tough teams, teams that can and will face adversity at their best. A lot of people are also counting on Michigan to cover the spread. I talked about in my Ohio State video that so many people, that a lot of people, about like four-fifths or three-fourths of the general public, last time I checked, are picking Maryland to cover in Ohio Stadium. It's the inverse, if not greater, is true in that a lot of people are expecting Michigan to cover on the road in Huntington Bank Stadium. A 19-point spread after Michigan beat Nebraska by 38 points and scored 45 unanswered points before a garbage-time touchdown. And just looking at the transitive property in Minnesota only beating Nebraska by three, Minnesota struggling defensively and offensively with teams like Louisiana, North Carolina, and Northwestern. Even Eastern Michigan, Minnesota shut down Eastern Michigan's offense, but Eastern Michigan was able to prevent Minnesota from moving the football on them. Again, a lot of concerns around Minnesota, but to go back to potential power, potential power is higher on Minnesota than a lot of other indexes are. And a lot of that is just factoring in my own preseason rankings, but also the fact that Minnesota is still top 50 in most valuable metrics, and they do have upside at wide receiver. Um, Ethan Kaliak-Manis, when you give him a good supporting cast and you don't rely on him to carry the game, like I said in the preseason, he can be a great quarterback. And the defense has, you know, Tyler Newbin and Justin Wally at defensive back, and they have other players as well, like Danny Strigeau and then Tyler Baugh. They have great players defensively. They just haven't figured things out, I think, is the story with Minnesota. And I feel like myself, but also potential power, are waiting for when, if ever, does Minnesota figure out this team? Because if they do, they can be one of the, they can be the best team in the West and they can be in the top half of the Big Ten currently. 
Maybe I'm wrong in saying that. There's a great possibility of that, but this roster has talent for Minnesota. I think Michigan has the advantage in every position category, but Michigan, much like if Minnesota was playing Ohio State or Georgia or Texas or Washington, it would be relatively the same. Minnesota is just a well-balanced team with great talent, potentially elite talent at safety, but safety yet again is only half of the defensive back room. I think corner has shown some vulnerability with Minnesota this season. Minnesota is a collection of players with great potential, great discipline, great culture, but there's something underlying with Minnesota, and I think it's their identity change and identity crisis that is causing some of these issues. They lost a lot of key players on offense, and I think the Northwestern game is a game that it's hard to recover from that type of matchup. When the defense played great for three quarters, and then they just completely fell, it completely fell apart. And you look at pro football focus, Minnesota has, I think, two top 10 safeties, one of them being Tyler Newbin in all of college football. And yet again, their defense, despite having several highly ranked players and touted players, is, you know, they allowed 24 points to Louisiana, and they allowed 34, 37, pardon me, to Northwestern. They actually did pretty well against UNC's offense, but Minnesota's offense kept turning over the football, settling for field goals, and at the end of the day, UNC eventually, with Drake May and Omarion Miller, eventually wore down. Minnesota. So position by position, there's so much talent on both sides of the football. Let's start with Michigan, since they have the advantage everywhere. Um, Typically, the best is saved for last, and that's always the case on reaction videos. And that, and also talking about, you know, top tens in those lists. But for something like this, a lot of the talk's going to be around Michigan in this game. And I do want to talk about Minnesota a fair amount. So I'm going to brush over Michigan. We're very familiar that Michigan's head coach in Jim Harbaugh is a top five, top six coach nationally, and that's, I think, at a minimum. I have him a little higher than that, but lower, obviously, than Kirby Smart and Nick Saban. Um, We know that Sharon Moore is one of the best O-line coaches in all of college football and a good offensive coordinator, a great one, perhaps. We know that, um, not Sharon Moore, but Jesse Minter, the defensive coordinator, is a Broyles Award caliber DC. And we know that Ben Herbert's an elite strength and conditioning coach. That's what we know with Michigan. They have a big staff advantage here, but not just here, with almost everyone that they would match up against. At quarterback, Michigan has J.J. McCarthy, who's passed for 1,071 yards in the season. He's completing 79% of his throws. He has 10 passing touchdowns, three interceptions, he has a 190.4 passer rating, and he has a 94.2 quarterback efficiency rating, along with 116 rushing yards and one rushing touchdown, and he's only been sacked three times. He has the number one quarterback efficiency rating in all of college football, and at 6'3", 202 pounds, a nimble body, an intelligent football mind, he's one of the best quarterbacks in the country currently at this moment. And Michigan also has gotten play from their backups in Jack Tuttle, Jaden Denegal, and Davis Warren to just add some more depth and experience as outside of J.J. McCarthy, Michigan doesn't have a high caliber, high ceiling player outside of maybe Alex Orgy in their quarterback room. And Alex Orgy has, he's a great runner, but 
needs to make great strides in the passing game to be considered a starting quarterback at Michigan in the future. At running back, Michigan is Blake Corum. Blake Corum has over 400 rushing yards. He's averaging nearly six yards per carry, and he has nine rushing touchdowns. Donovan Edwards and Kalel Mullings have 100 yards rushing or more. Mullings had an impressive game against Nebraska where he had a 20-yard rushing touchdown. Michigan is one of the deepest running back rooms in the country. And McCarthy, Leon Franklin, C.J. Stokes, Cole Cabana, these are other running backs or non-running back players, like McCarthy, for example, who contribute to the ground game. Michigan almost has 1,000 rushing yards on the season. They're averaging 4.9 yards per carry. And that's facing a defense in Rutgers and also Nebraska that are some of the better defenses, I think, in college football. Not the best, but top 30, top 25 defenses, I would say. The problem is their offenses, especially Nebraska's, are not living up to the same par as their defenses do. At receiver, Michigan at tight end is Colston Loveland, and they have Roman Wilson and Cornelius Johnson, um, Samaj Morgan, Darius Clemens, and others at wide receiver. Also Frederick Moore. Roman Wilson has eight receiving touchdowns and 326 receiving yards. Colston Loveland almost has 200 receiving yards, and he's averaging 12 yards per pass catch as a tight end. The offensive line for Michigan is great. Drake Nugent is playing like one of the better centers in the country. I don't think he's as good as Olu Oluwatimi, but he doesn't have to be for Michigan to have a Joe Moore Award offensive line. But I would prefer, of course, that he continues to make strides. The guard room is the best in the country. Tackle is making strides. At defensive line, Michigan on the season, like I mentioned earlier, is 13 sacks. Chris Jenkins, he's had a great year. He's had an interception, a sack, and also 14 total tackles. And Josiah Stewart, Jalen Harrell, Derek Moore, Kenneth Grant, those players have combined for eight total sacks, two passes defended, an interception, and two forced fumbles. The defensive line's impressive. Linebackers solid with Junior Colson, Ernest Hausman, Michael Barrett. Defensive back, uh, Will Johnson and Rod Moore have had some health issues, and they're healing up, becoming healthy. But Quinton Johnson has done a good job filling in at defensive back. Makari Page is having a good season so far. Mike Sainra still. I think is one of Michigan's, be- if not Michigan's, best player right now. Two interceptions, one return for six, a pass deflected, a sack, and 11 total tackles. Sainra still is everywhere on the field, everywhere, um, and the ultimate leader of this defense in my mind. And then at special teams, James Turner, so far on the season, I believe is, yes, four of six with a long of 50, and he has 34 total points. The punting game's been good, and Jake Thaw has been solid at returning punts. And Tyler Morris, despite almost muffing a punt against Nebraska, he had a good return there as well. So Michigan's deep at every position. In my mind, they're elite at most positions. But we can't overshadow or overlook Minnesota, because Minnesota, despite the fact that Matt Simon and Greg Harbaugh haven't had a good season, offensively, especially with Ethan Kaliak-Manis. Matt Simon was the wide receivers coach for Minnesota for a while, I think since about 2018, if not earlier. That means that Rashad Bateman, Tyler Johnson, that means that Chris Altman-Bell, 
Daniel Jackson. These are all players that he's developed who are now in the NFL or they're doing well at Minnesota currently. Uh, Minnesota has a very underrated skill set on offense and also defense. Joe Rossi, I think, is one of the better DCs in all of college football, but I haven't necessarily been impressed with his coaching and his defense so far this season. Through five games, they've looked woefully average, if maybe good or above average at the very best, below average at the worst, given the talent that they have and the upside that I've seen from this defense. I mean, come on. The defense so far this season for Minnesota, they forced three fumbles and they have eight interceptions. They've been getting turnovers and they have 11 sacks. Typical for a Joe Rossi defense is around 20 sacks, if not slightly less, at the end of the season. Minnesota's five games and they have seven games left and they have a tougher schedule than they're usually presented with. And they're having more success at sacking the quarterback. Now, maybe their pressure rate isn't as good, but there's 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 underlying issues at Minnesota that I can't exactly put my finger on. But I think a lot of it has to do with their massive loss of returning production. They lost longtime quarterback Tanner Morgan, Muhammad Ibrahim. They lost a few players defensively as well. Mariano Sori Marin, who was the leader of that defense last year, he left. And Jordan Howden, a great safety, also left for the NFL. So there are some holes and some new players. P.J. Fleck even said in the preseason after the first game against Nebraska that this team would have to have strong leadership and play nearly perfect games because some stuff that him and his staff didn't like in the preseason. P.J. Fleck's a, a good coach, maybe slightly better than good, but he has had problems winning games against teams that have more talent than him outside of rival Wisconsin. I like Joe Rossi at defensive coordinator. The offensive staff outside of the offensive line coach and strength and conditioning has a lot to be desired from as well, given Ethan Kaliakmanis' progression and the fact that Minnesota's offense has only improved when Kaliakmanis has been taken out of the spotlight. He had 44 and 29 passing attempts against Nebraska and UNC, which those games were the worst offensive performances for Minnesota, where they only scored 13 points in each of those games. And in those games, he completed, on average, less than 50% of his passes. He had one touchdown pass and two interceptions in those games, and he never hit a 100 passer rating in those games either. Kaliak Manis has two rushing touchdowns, 92 rushing yards. He has 745 passing yards on the season, five touchdowns, four picks, a 117.4 passer rating, and a 65 QBR, which is good for 49th in America. So ESPN's analytics are seeing him improving. I think more of that has to do with the fact that whether it was against Eastern Michigan or Northwestern or Louisiana, he had less than 20 passing attempts in each of those games. Um, a third of his passing attempts on the season came in one game against Nebraska, where he had 45 attempts. The more you limit Kaliak Manis's involvement in the offense, or the less the offense has to rely on him, the more successful the offense seems to be. Part of that is also due to Darius Taylor, who's a true freshman who has 532 rushing yards. He's averaging 6.1 yards per carry, and he has four rushing touchdowns. There was a reason why Darius Taylor got a Michigan offer, the same reason why last year we said 
There's a reason why Caleb Johnson got a Michigan offer at running back. They were diamonds in the rough. They were not highly recruited in the sense that four and five stars were, but they are great running backs when healthy. The problem is currently right now, none of them are healthy. I don't know if Caleb Johnson's injury is season ending. It sounded like it was more severe than Darius Taylor's though. But as I mentioned earlier in the video, Darius Taylor's health is critical to Minnesota's chances in this game because he's their best running back. Sean Tyler, he has 183 rushing yards, no rushing touchdowns though. He was the Western Michigan transfer. Zach Evans has been with the program for some time. He has 85 rushing yards, one rushing touchdown. He's actually not been with the program sometime. I think he's a redshirt freshman or a true freshman, I think. Um, and then there's also Bryce Williams. Bryce Williams is the running back who's been with the program for some time that I've been thinking of. And Bryce Williams on the year is 83 yards, one rushing touchdown. He's averaging 3.2 yards per rush. Minnesota always has a deep running back room. The same can be said for this season. And at receiver, Daniel Jackson, Corey Crooms, they each have over 200 receiving yards. Daniel Jackson is the best wide receiver on the team, and it's not even close, as he is second in the team in average yards per reception with 12.6, and he has four receiving touchdowns. Brevin Spanford hasn't been as active as I thought he would be. He's had some drops. Also, the coordinators haven't done a good job of getting him involved in the offense, but he's still a good tight end. 66 receptions, um, or receiving yards, rather, and 12 receptions on the year. Tight end blocking has also been somewhat of an issue for Minnesota this season, but all in all, they're good at skill positions. Quarterback seems to be improving as the offense figures out how to utilize Kaliak Manis in a better way. Defensively, we already know about Minnesota defensively. They have great players there. Kyler Baugh, for example, he has two and a half sacks. Jod Joyner, high upside player, a pass defended, one and a half sacks. Jack Henderson, he's been good at safety along with Tyler Newbin. And Justin Wally has had four passes defended. The problem for Minnesota, in my mind, is honestly fundamentals. They haven't been able to close out games like Northwestern, or it took them a while to get ahead against Louisiana. They haven't been able to finish in the red zone. They've settled for 10 field goal attempts so far on the season, yet they only have, what, five passing touchdowns and only eight rushing touchdowns? That's not a good ratio there. Nine field goals made to 13 touchdowns in total offensively. That's not a good sign. And Minnesota, outside of their kicker, Drayton Kessich, does have a poor special teams unit. Who are the players that I'm looking for to break out in this game? Uh, for me, with Minnesota, it has to be Ethan Kaliak-Manis because Michigan is not going to lose to a one-dimensional offense. That was the case against Nebraska. And Rutgers, who has a more balanced offense, they only had one big play, and they only scored one time, missing a field goal, failing on a fourth down in Michigan territory, etc., Ethan Kaliak Manis will have to step up and have a performance similar to the one that he had against Wisconsin last season, or similar to the one that he had against Northwestern and against Louisiana, at least on the stat sheet. I watched Minnesota games against North Carolina. I watched them against Northwestern. And I watched them against Nebraska. I didn't get around to watching them against Louisiana 
and looking at the scoreboard and also taking a deep dive into analytics and seeing that their best offensive player in Darius Taylor is out, I don't think there was going to be much extra that I could have taken from that game. But if Kaliak Manis can play at a high level, be very efficient, be accurate, you know, deliver the ball right into the breadbasket, then Minnesota does have a fighting chance. And if Darius Taylor is healthy, he would be the player to watch. I'm just not going to promise that he is healthy. And seeing that he wasn't put back in against Northwestern and he was held out for this game, I imagine that he's probably day-to-day at best right now. I'd lean on him likely not starting here. But then again, I haven't heard anything. P.J. Fleck seems to have been very you know secretive about the injury, as is typical of many coaches you know, giving coach speak in regards to injuries. But Kaliak Manis, he has to step up in the run game, the pass game, and keep Michigan's defense honest and make them be creative. That's what he has to do, because if Minnesota wants to run the football with Nathan Bowie at center and with Tyler Cooper and with Quinn Carroll and with their offensive line, it might work for a drive or two, but eventually Michigan's just going to say we're going to you know, rush seven or six guys every play, and we're going to force your quarterback to pass it. And Kaliak Manis will have to step up and do that, I think. For Michigan, it's defensive tackle Chris Jenkins. And Chris Jenkins, no matter the health of Darius Taylor or the health of you know Mason Graham or anyone for Michigan, he's my player to watch because... Minnesota is going to want to run the football. They're going to want to chew clock. And Chris Jenkins so far this season has already forced turnovers. He's been getting pressure. He's been one of the best defensive tackles, might be the best defensive tackle in the country. I don't know. He's one of the highest graded, according to PFF. And he certainly has the statistics to back up and the eye test to back up being one of the best defensive tackles in all of college football. He will likely be a first-round NFL draft pick in the 2024 draft, but he has to play a great game here and shut down Minnesota's run game, and he'll have some tests. He'll be facing the best offensive line he's played all season long. Rutgers, they've looked statistically impressive, and Gavin Wimsatt's only been sacked, I think, two times, but again, they've only played Michigan, and outside of Michigan, they haven't played anyone impressive and Michigan was able to completely shut down their run game outside of Gavin Wimsatt's runs. So with Chris Jenkins being that big body, that elite player on the interior, we'll just have to see um, what Minnesota throws at him. Maybe Minnesota goes pass heavy because they respect Michigan's run game, but we saw how well that worked out against Nebraska, and I just think Minnesota is going to pound the rock and want to run the football. But maybe I'm wrong there. My prediction for this game is Michigan is going to cover the spread. They're going to win. They're going to dominate. I know many people are picking Michigan to do this, which might make it something to stay away from. In fact, I don't know. I'm not a betting man. I don't know if I'd, you know, you'll be a solid, put a solid, confident amount of money on Michigan to cover necessarily. This is a better offense, potentially the best offense in terms of raw talent that Michigan has faced all season long. It's a road game. It's at night. That might change some things, but I don't think it will. Michigan has just been so efficient, and they're not going to overlook anyone because, quite frankly, who's to who's to look past two? Penn State, Ohio State, 
Those games are in November. This is the first week of October, for crying out loud. Michigan has no one to look forward to. That's way too far in the future. And Jim Harbaugh and his staff have respect for Minnesota, respect for P.J. This is also a rivalry game. Let's not forget. It's not a massive rivalry game. But the the golden brown jug, I think is what it's called, or the, the little brown jug. See, it's a rivalry that isn't played enough, so I temporarily forgot the name of the trophy, but the little brown jug exists. Minnesota probably takes this rivalry more seriously than Michigan, but best believe that a Michigan former Michigan player in Jim Harbaugh knows the significance of this game for Minnesota and also his own team. I think Michigan will have over 500 yards of total offense, 300 passing. I think Minnesota will do a slightly better job. This sounds weird, but a slightly better job at stopping the run than Nebraska did. I think Michigan is really going to have to pass because I think that Joe Rossi, being a great defensive coordinator, I think is going to force the issue of, hey, if you want to blow us out or beat us, you're going to have to pass. Because Minnesota's strength, frankly, is their coverage. It's Justin Wally. It's Tyler Newbin. It's those players at defensive back and linebacker, which are their strength. They have high upside at defensive line, but Minnesota is going to stack the box because they've done a poor job of stopping the run against Nebraska. Against North Carolina, they had some success, but at the end they broke down. And Louisiana, Louisiana had 6.1 yards per carry against this Minnesota defense. So Minnesota's going to stack the box. They're going to probably be sending five, six, maybe even get risky and send seven guys forward. And I think J.J. McCarthy with Roman Wilson, Colston Loveland, Cornelius Johnson will just light it up. And look for Donovan Edwards in the passing game as well. I think at some point he's destined for a breakout game, whether that's in the run department or the pass department, we'll just have to see. Michigan will score 35 points, I think, in the first half. They'll have an even more dominant performance offensively than they did against Nebraska in the first half. The Wolverines will once again dominate a West opponent. Now for Minnesota, they are outmatched, and they have the 35th best scoring defense, which isn't impressive. It's not horrendous, but looking at Michigan's offense, which by scoring offense is very, very underrated, Minnesota's scoring defense, there's a potential that it might be overrated because Nebraska's offense is one of the most inefficient in college football. Eastern Michigan is one of college football's, I think, worst teams. UNC, I think that was Minnesota's best game defensively, and the offense just threw it away. And against Northwestern, the defense collapsed. And against Louisiana, that was not an impressive performance whatsoever. Again, going back to that game, Louisiana averaged, in fact, it was 6.6 yards per carry on the ground with almost 200 rushing yards. And they averaged seven yards per pass attempt with two passing touchdowns, two interceptions, and 172 passing yards by um, Zion Chris, Louisiana's quarterback. So Minnesota's defense, I think, is a slightly worse defense at this very moment than Nebraska's is, even though I think they have a higher upside defensively than Nebraska. The difference for the Golden Gophers is I think they will have a few successful drives. They have a better O-line than the Cornhuskers do, and I think a better one than even Rutgers does. And I'm making comparison to Big Ten opponents because both of these teams have had enough sample size to where I think we can begin to make comparisons here. 
Minnesota also has better wide receivers and better tight ends, I think, than anyone Michigan has played so far. Now at quarterback, Ethan Kaliak Manis, I don't think he's the best quarterback that Michigan has faced, and I think Michigan's going to get after him. They'll probably rattle him. I don't know if Minnesota's offensive line will allow a lot of sacks in this game or if Michigan's going to play ultra-aggressive or more conservative. Those are things that I don't know. But I do think, and I'm confident in this thought, that Michigan will dominate this game. Minnesota, Michigan has to take them seriously because I think they will be able to score in the first half. I think whether it's three, whether it's seven, or whether it's all ten points, I think that points will be scored in the first half for Minnesota. And I would be inclined to say seven or three. I don't think all 10 will be scored in the first half, but I I would be more inclined to say that the touchdown that I predict to be scored will be scored in the first half. I think Minnesota has enough upside and enough power of a run game to maybe drive down the field and eat some clock against Michigan's defense before Michigan takes total control. Thank you guys so much for watching this video. Make sure to subscribe, like the video, and comment your thoughts down below on this game and also on other games that you're interested in. Also, check out the Patreon channel if you haven't already through the link in the description. Thank you to my Patreon supporters, Spencer Bringhurst, my All-American, and Will Loftus, Gabriel Callender, and Roaming Gnome, and Matthew Sale, my All-Conference patrons. Have a phenomenal day, guys, and I'll see you around. Bye-bye.